We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest today, Matt and AQ, writer for the Beat of Brooklyn. What is up, fellas? How are we doing after four straight? What's going on? Man, uh, good to see Spider-Man today. The Nets have a win. It's a good Saturday here in Melbourne, Australia. Yes, it is. it feels rare. I don't even know the last time the Nets won four straight. So bouncing back from that eight-game losing streak in the right way with a win over Washington tonight, 125-118. You can check out the buzz on iTunes, Box Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But get us started, Matt. What were your initial takeaways from this one? Well, I don't try to put too much stock into single-game sample sizes. But right now, it's kind of glaring that Spencer Dinwiddie is far and away, in the absence of Karis LeVert anyway, far and away the best player on this team. Yeah, he is absolutely dominating. I think over in the winning streak, he's averaging like 27 points. Funnily enough, has that again tonight. His attack at the rim and the, his ability to finish around there, you know, the array of moves, you know, left hand, right hand, the footwork is something to behold. He's got nice speed, good strength. You know, he is an elite finisher around that rim. Uh, he's been, you know, the fulcrum and he deserves that contract and then some. And, you know, you're not, you like to see, you know, guys, you know, you sort of compare it to a guy like John Wall who, you know, gets the, gets the big payday and sort of uh, may have sort of, you know, we can't necessarily read into it, but it's certainly gotten a little more, uh, I'm not sure the word. Drop a little, off, yeah. It doesn't yeah, seem like he's as much as he possibly was before the contract. I know what you're saying, Jack. Yeah. He, he looks like he's playing for his next contract. Yeah, in, in in a sense, he hasn't rested on his laurels at all and, and continuing to sort of prove, you know, his value in Brooklyn. And, and I think he's starting to get, you know, a few of those sort of star calls, so to speak, uh, that he's been arguing over maybe for the last two seasons. So, yeah, Spencer has been absolutely awesome and, and been the real key to this winning streak. 
Yeah, and like you guys said, 27 points, 8 of 15 from the field, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, and only 1 turnover. He was just dominant. Any Washington defender, he had the ability to take him to the rim, work in that switch, also made a couple good reads in the fourth quarter when it ended up double-teaming him. So impressive game for Spencer. And you almost felt like that confidence vibe, getting that contract, he just feels at home. Very happy for him. You can check out the extension episode we just did uh, yesterday. But what about Rodion Kurutz? You know, another big game from him, 15 points, 5 of 6 in the field, 6 rebounds, and you can just kind of almost instantly feel his energy out there. Yeah, I mean, do you remember last year when we had Trevor Booker to start the year? And then after that, later on, we got Dante Cunningham. Both of them played where maybe they weren't necessarily system fits, but they kind of just filled in the blanks with their energy. They set the tone. And I mean, I, I think Rodion's, he just, he, he does that and he has the shot to go with it. Now, I think what frustrated a lot of the fans was watching Jared Dudley play extended minutes or watching last year Quincy Acey play extended minutes simply because they could go four out with those two players. They could they could theoretically shoot the three ball, but you would see them make other mistakes. They would get destroyed on defense or there would just be you know costly turnovers late in the game. Uh, it was frustrating. And here with Kuruks, you have you had the fans kind of just clamoring since the first week and even since the preseason, I think, for him to get some meaningful action. And now Kenny, I, I don't know if it's been reluctantly or what, has finally given him a chance to prove himself. And he looks like he belongs in this rotation, not not just sporadically. He looks like he belongs in this team every night. Yeah, he belongs as a starter, you know, gets his first start and plays the best game he's in. And it's 30 minutes, you know, almost leads the game. You know, one of the few people to earn 30-plus minutes from Coach Kenny. We know how uh, sort of liberal, uh, non-liberal he is in terms of dishing out his minutes. You know, also the fact that, you know, we didn't see anything from Shabazz Napier, Jalan Musa, Kenneth Farid, and Kenny did cut that rotation to four, to nine, sorry, uh, in the absence of Alan Crabb was one thing uh, that we sort of saw as an adjustment from Kenny. So nice to sort of see him making those sort of, you know, feel adjustments, having those sort of instincts that were sort of been wanting from him and, you know, being able to make the subs when necessarily and make the adjustments. It's been, you know, a nice little uh, adjustment from him that have allowed this winning streak as well from Coach Kenny, not just the players on the court. Yeah, and I think the number one thing we'd all say about, you know, Coach Kenny, if he trusts you or if you want to kind of earn his trust, playing in that fourth quarter means a lot. And Rodion's closed out the game. He closed out the last game. And just, you know, you see the mistakes out there, but the energy and the instinct is definitely there for Rodion. So very exciting to see what he can do. Do you guys think he should start from here on out or maybe a little bit later in the season? I think he should start from here on out. And I'm sure he'll have games where he'll regress. Not every game will look like this. He's young. What is he, 19 years old? Yeah, something about um, like that. Yeah, something like that. There are going to be games where, you know, the shots don't fall or where he turns the ball over or where he gets whistled for a foul because he's a rookie, especially a European rookie. Uh, I, I think the refs are going to not always give him the benefit of the doubt. But you have to give this guy some burn. And if he's not in Long Island, he has to be here. And he, we don't need to see more of necessarily Jared Dudley with the starters or even Damari Carroll playing the four. You have someone who looks like yet another steal. We drafted him, what, 40th? Yeah. Second round? This is someone who can contribute and should be given the chance to grow on the fly. Now, I don't know what his ceiling is, but like we said before, he should be playing, and I think he's going to develop the more he plays. 
Yeah, I like the fact that you touched on that. There, there is no ceiling to him at this stage because each little game we see these new little tidbits in his game in terms of you know offensively. That spin move the other night against the Sixers was one that, of that, that made me that made me go wow. Oh, that was it. That's the thing. Those are the the sort of moves that you see stars make, and the confidence they're able to show that. You know, the first step that he showed tonight as well. You know, good pace, good length, everything about him. It just screams. You know, he's going to be a, a long term starter for the Nets. It's going to be a matter of when, not if. Obviously, he's already exceeding the minutes of Jared Dudley and Tamari Carroll, which is a good sign. But I think, you know, because Alan Crabb has sort of earned the long-term trust and, you know, spacing, all those sort of, you know, tangibles that Coach Kenny loves, I think Rodion's going to see a, a minor dip. But if he keeps playing the way he is, he's going to have to force himself into the rotation. But I also like the little, uh, I think it was Ned Staley or someone else tweeted this out, the fact that, you know, there were some teaching moments, you know, throughout the night, which Coach Kenny, you know, subbed him out, sort of talked to him about, you know, defensive rotation, sort of defensive, you know, IQ, all those sort of little things that, you know, Rodon's just going to learn from. And like you said again, Matt, you know, he's going to learn more from it, you know, in a Brooklyn Nets uniform rather than in Long Island because this guy is an NBA player. He's proven that, you know, these past two performances set career highs game, game by game. So uh, I think he fits perfectly with what the Brooklyn Nets are trying to do long term. It's going to be interesting to see with Alan Crabb coming back sooner rather than later, how Coach Kenny makes those adjustments. And I have to bring up one, one play uh, in the fourth quarter when he missed that mid-range jumper. He got the ball back, and he very confidently drilled the three. That's something yep. that that I notice a lot. I put a lot of stock into confidence and body language, sometimes good, sometimes bad. You know, you've seen players who are way too confident in their shots. You know, you think of, like, Nick Young or something. But <laughs> he, he looked like he, he said, no, no, I'm very calmly going to get this ball back, and I'm just going to take the shot I know I can make. And sure enough, it went in. Yeah, yeah and touching on that too is sometimes you see him, you know, make a mistake offensively or miss a shot. Next play defensively, it didn't happen tonight, but he'll kind of get that steal and slam, which we've seen a couple games. So I think Rodion's what's been really impressive is the sneaky athleticism, that 7 2 wingspan or 7 2 reach, whatever it is. I think Rodion's ability to drive in the absence of Karis LeVert is very important for this team. And he's fast. Yeah. He is super quick, and because he has that length about him, he can just create separation so easily. It's, you know, a, another awesome drafting move by Sean Marks. And to have him also locked up for the next three, four years to a very, very team-friendly deal, uh, it, it just makes it even better. Yeah, and that deal kind of screamed that Sean Marks was very confident in what he drafted there. And we talked about it previously on the show. The, in Not last year's draft, the draft before that, he was predicted to be a first-round pick as high as the lottery. So getting him in the second round at 40, like Matt mentioned, was a steal. But talk, talking about a num- another four on the team, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, maybe one of his best games of the season. Yeah, uh, if you ask me what does Rondé do well, I'd probably – I mean, I don't know really how to describe it. I feel yeah, like he's Rondé. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's kind of like a, a – God, I hate to use the term Swiss Army Knife because it's such a cliche. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he's not really great at anything, but when he does something good, like a, a turnaround jumper at the free throw line and it goes in, you're like, that's a bad shot. But for him, it's a good shot. And you can't really be mad at it because he plays with high energy. And even though he turned the ball over maybe two, three possessions before because he plays so erratically, you know, he brings defense and he, he can handle the rock sometimes. And it's just – it's nice to see him playing with more control than he had uh, as the season started. And I think he's – I don't know what the fit is, but in the beginning of the season, it was clear he wasn't quite right. He does look healthier now, and he does seem – like I said, body language, I put a lot of stock into it. He seems to look happier and just uh, just more comfortable out there. 
Yeah, and I think num- that's the number one thing with Rondé and a lot of our guys, but I think Rondé probably more so than anyone. If he's confident, he's going to make plays on both ends. And I think the number one thing that I've seen from him, apart from the you know the eye-popping six assists tonight, is the defense. You know, he's wanting to sort of, you know, take the big matchups. You know, he's guarding John Wall on occasions on the perimeter and he's doing it more than capably, you know. He's becoming sort of, you know, the defensive stop. And like you put on Twitter, Nick, you know, when Karis LeVert comes back, to have two above-average defenders just makes the whole world a difference, uh, especially when they come to the perimeter because we have Jared Allen sort of manning the fort down low and he had obviously his major blocks and he's an awesome defensive rim protector. So it's it's nice to see, you know, Rondé, uh, what his fit is, you know, it, it remains to be seen. But I think similar to what Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris have taken in terms of those sort of mini discounts, I think Rondé would be willing to do so as well because I don't think a lot of other teams are going to be clamoring for his services. And him and Kenny have a great relationship too. So that, I think that's always important to think about. What other guys had good games in your eyes? Joe Harris, Damari Carroll, who else stuck out tonight? Joe Harris, I think he started a little slow. Well, I don't know if he started slow, but I think, yeah, he was tapping for a little while. But in the fourth quarter, he somehow managed to hit in my mind what were three daggers. There was the first uh, the first jumper that went in, which kind of sealed the game. I think it was Beal in the next possession who came right back. The next, uh, I think it was a layup and it was a goaltend. And then finally the three-pointer that really put the game away. And I mean, sometimes it's not about volume. Sometimes it's really just about timing and he was in the role of Joe, well, I don't want to say Joe Johnson, but he was in the role of just being a closer when we needed him to because without Alan Crabb, it's like, damn, who do we go to for this bucket besides Spencer Diddy calling for, Spencer Dinwiddie, excuse me, calling for an ISO and trying to do it himself. Yeah, there were some really nice plays that were finished for Joe Harris. So the fact that Coach Kenny had that confidence in him, in him to make the plays and, you know, Jared Allen making those uh, dish-out passes as well. You know, you trust Joe Harris with the ball in his hands on the perimeter more than any other, I think. He is if the top three in terms of three-point percentage with, I think, Bryn Forbes and Stephen Curry in terms of, you know, uh, the right amount of volume at the same time. So he's absolutely awesome. He continues to drive well, and he just makes the right decisions and makes the right plays at the right time. You know, a nice couple of floaters in there as well. And I don't mind him playing at the two. You know, it, I think the positional versatility that the Nets have now is something that's going to be really nice and a real strength for us. You know, Rodion's who has, you know, you know, six, nine, but it is easily a power forward, but starting at the small forward alongside a guy like Ronda Hollis Jefferson, when Karis LeVert comes back, I think that's something that we can really uh, use to exploit against other teams in terms of that sort of versatility, that ability to handle the rock and finish plays. Yeah, Joe was impressive. I thought the effort he put on Bradley Beal, obviously Bradley Beal's a better player, more talented, more athletic, but Joe constantly made him work and then throw in the six assists. And like Matt said, those clutch threes, that's just someone big to knock down those shots when the run was coming from the Wizards. Can I, I need to bring up one possession. Uh, Dinwiddie had it and uh, in the corner, there was a man on him. He manages to get the ball to Rondé, who in a previous life or in a previous possession would probably have tried to lay it up even though it was contested realized he had Joe Harris open from three, kicks it out, and then Joe Conley drills it from three. And it was just an example of, okay, this is the offense clicking on all cylinders. This is the offense where, you know, the team looks like it has continuity because it was basically no one was trying to force the action. It was just very calm, very methodical, and very smart. And that was probably the position that stuck out with me um, the most in terms, at least positively. Yeah, especially because I believe the shot clock was, you know, going down at that point. It was low in the, in the single digits, and Rondé didn't really uh, overreact. He was patient, made the pass to Joe Harris, like you said, knocked it down. So that was he big. He really thought about about driving too, and then said, "Wait, no, I'm going to kick kick this ball out to my guy who's open." 
And that's the development of Rondé and what we like to see when he's under control and attacking at the same time. It's very positive. But, guys, any other players you want to stick out or more of the team perspective? Why did the Nets really win this one? Was it just dominating inside of the paint? Was it the Wizards' just lack of defense? What was it? Uh, well, this Wizards team, okay, first they're, they are injured. But at the same time, this is a team where they're not as bad as their record is. They're capable of getting up on a random night if they forget that they hate each other. that's really what it is right they don't like playing together uh if they can get past that and they band together they're definitely the more talented team and they can probably win this game but you you saw in the fourth they kind of looked like they were getting ready to uh to just throw in the towel already they're ready to be done with you know they they mustered whatever effort they had left uh Beal was the only one i think who was really really giving it his all going down the stretch but uh I wanted to bring up D'Lo because while it was kind of a rough scoring night for him, I mean, 3-12 from the field, he did look like a decent, in my eyes anyway, he did look like he tried to be a good point guard tonight, and he got, what was it, nine assists? Yep. Yeah. yeah. He was and he didn't slow. disrupt the offense either. No, he tried to he tried to shoot himself out of the slump late, which I'm not really mad at because they weren't crucial possessions. It looked more like it was just like he had good looks that he wasn't able to convert on. But I'm not, again, I said I'm not big on single-game sample sizes. I know there are going to be people, anytime there's anything that's related, the comments and the replies are all <laughs> Trade d now or d needs to play every minute of the game and fire Kenny Atkinson. And it's just like, give it a rest. He had good, he had, he was a good point guard tonight. He wasn't a good scorer. Uh, you know, tonight it was the, the Spencer Dinwiddie show. You live and you learn from it. Yeah, I think the nine assists, you know, he showed, you know, a, an ability to read the game, what it was offering him. And I think Jared Dudley's mentioned that about him, you know, plenty. I think a lot of the coaches have, you know, the five turnovers is something, you know, he would like to clean up himself as well. Wasn't the most holly efficient night, but, you know, despite the sort of box score saying, you know, it didn't look pretty, but I thought that this was sort of a better game than some of his sort of double digit nights where he has, you know, five assists or so, because I still think he had a positive impact on the result. And, you know, plus minus, he led the team, you know, plus nine with Jared Allen. You know, I think that was the sort of hot start where we saw, you know, Jared, um, not Jared Allen, Jared Allen obviously was out there, but also Rodion's Kurtz and then and the Nets got off to a nice little start as well. So whenever he was out there, he was having an effect on the game. But, you know, I, I think if you're looking at the minutes distribution as well, you know, 29 for, for D'Angelo Russell, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie and Rondo Hollis-Jefferson led the night with 32. You know, most guys had around that 28 to 32 range other than Dudley and Davis. So I think it was a nice sort of balanced performance, but I think it's all going to change, you know, when you add in that extra guard sort of wing uh, type in Alan Crabb. How does, you know, Coach Kenny make that adjustment? And I think that's going to be, you know, interesting to watch as the Nets go into their next game. I, I hate to interrupt, fellas, but I don't know if you guys are aware, uh, Woj dropped a uh, couple of bombs in the middle of this podcast. Uh, what did he drop? The Washington Wizards are in advanced talks to deal, so that's an old one. As part of a three-team deal nearing completion, Ariza to the Wizards, Kelly Oubre to the Memphis Grizzlies, and Austin, River, Austin Rivers and two Grizzly role players to the Suns. Leaks oh, my. SPN. Holy shit. So maybe, well, maybe, maybe he's got a watch bomb mid-pod. <laughs> maybe that's why they looked like they were miserable, or maybe they should be happy. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. It's Kelly. one of many moves that I think will come for the Wizards, especially like Matt kind of touched. And this team doesn't like each other. And you can kind of sense it. And just the whole attitude and vibe of them. Like, how does Bradley Beal get a tech while he's about to shoot a technical free throw? Like, how do you so do weird. that? I don't think I've ever seen that in my life. That's so weird. He, uh, 
he wouldn't get his ass off of Jared Allen, literally. He'd, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally put his ass on his shoulder. Like, Double him, like, and... get off of me. <laughs> I don't understand how, how things, and, like, you know, just to touch on the Wizards again, I'm sure my boy, JVT, Nick, is listening. I don't understand how things can be so bad when you are getting paid millions of dollars to play the game of basketball. Like, surely you can just make things work a little bit and get on a little bit more. Like, you know, you're not like, you know, us teachers and guys working at sports apparel or whatever, you know, for our daily sort of lives, which is like, we would kill to have their lives. I know it's probably a lot easier to say from the outside looking in, but, you know, you're not playing in the worst city in the world as well. You know, Washington, the only American city to have a Nando's. So, you know, I'm an I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, but yeah, I think we sort of touched on it as well with the Nets. The, the, the cohesion in chemistry, I think, is starting to be reflected not just off the floor in terms of all the things that we're saying, but on the floor as well. And I think that that's uh, only going to be a positive going forward as the Nets continue to sort of knock on the door of the playoff race. Listen, yeah. money can buy happiness. It can buy uh, mumbo sauce. It can't buy happiness. So that's it, sir. That's it, mate. Yeah, put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> it, it touched on what Jack said. It like the culture actually matters, and you saw a lot of people early on when the Nets were preaching culture when they were so bad, saying you know all these bad teams preach culture, but it really does matter. And you're starting to see it on the court, like you mentioned. So just a really good team effort. And 34 assists tonight on 44 made field goals. A lot of good ball movement. It wasn't sticking. Not a ton of ISO. Also, Nets dominate the rebounding battle. Is something we're not used to seeing. 46 to 25. Yeah, I mean, the the way that the ball was being distributed, I'm not going to say that the Washington defense was anything, you know, (laughs) masterful tonight. But, you know, the Nets were just taking what the, the, the defense was giving them and they were making them pay, you know, dominating inside the paint, dominating the rebounding battle, just everything. It was, you know, I think the scoreboard flattled what flattered Sorry, uh, Washington, a little bit with the you know the single digit margin because I think for the most of most of the night, Brooklyn were the far more dominant team, and I think you know a lot of those sort of stats you touched on there uh, reflected that. What were your thoughts on it, Matt? I mean, it's just a nice flip of the whole mo, right? Because last year it was getting killed on the glass every night. They were just getting absolutely demolished by pretty much any big. If you had a remotely competent big, we're not talking. You know, you didn't have to be Anthony Davis. You could be uh, well, one Howard, right? Right. You could just be. You could be pretty much anybody who can get a rebound, and you will have a career night against the Brooklyn Nets. And it, it takes effort. It takes coaching. And I mean, I know again, cliche, but it's true. And they look like they've put effort into their rebounding, and now it's paying dividends because now they're able to, they're able to get second chances when the three ball isn't falling or when they miss, they they blow a layup. They all look like they know where to be. They're not really fighting each other to, uh, you know, cannibalize one another's rebounds. You don't see Spencer Dinwiddie pulling um, um, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say it, but I. Because I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I do like Russell Westbrook, but I mean, he does what he does. He's so, done it less this season. Right now, he's getting out the way and letting you know Paul George hit the game winner against us. So yeah, huh. yep. it's always fun. <laughs> yeah. But any last thoughts on the Wizards game, guys? Anything else stick out that you want to touch on before we move on to some other topics? I think that this was such a, a nice win that a loss on Sunday against a totally beatable Atlanta Hawks team is very plausible just because that's, <laughs> that's our. Yep. I, uh, I don't discount that as well. I think that, you know, oh, it's weird to say, but the Nets are a better team than the Washington Wizards right now. And, you know, Matt touched on the fact that the insane amount of talent that they have on paper, but it proves that, you know, talent can only get you so far in this league. Exactly. Can, Nets are out ex- out executing a lot of pretty much every team uh you know during that eight game losing streak they were out executing right up until the fourth quarter when the other yeah. team 
oh crap, we're better with the exception of like maybe Cleveland. Uh, I don't know what really happened there, but, the, <laughs> but right now it just looks like they're doing everything they can for you know the full game to get to get the job done, fundamentally sound, and you know that's how you beat teams that are better than you. Yep. Yeah, it's just they're out working them, they're out executing them, and they're just putting in more effort when it matters, and they're kind of starting to build that confidence. And I didn't even think this was probably one of the Nets' best games. I thought the Wizards' defense was just so bad offensively; they just kind of get what they wanted. And defensively, I don't think it was a great energy-wise, but they still won the game. But talking about that Atlanta Hawks matchup, do you guys think they could blow it, or do you think they'll capitalize, build on this four-game winning streak, and hit five? Well, I'm going to be in attendance, so okay. I am. You got tickets from Jared Dudley? Uh, actually, he still has to get back to me about that. But <laughs> I, had, I actually had tickets. Uh, I bought them about a month ago, so I've been looking forward to this one for a while. I'm going with a friend who's actually a Hawks fan, so I want to leave happy and him miserable. <laughs> yes, that's the, the only way to do it. Absolutely. I, I mean, I mean, who, who knows with the the Nets right now? But with the way they are playing, you know. You know, I think that there should be no reason why we don't beat them by double digits. But at the same time, you know, the Nets Jeremy sometimes... Jeremy revenge game, is that maybe we can push that narrative? I don't oh, know. man. The Lynn you know stands... he's going to... There. You know, there's probably some reasons behind it that we won't mention, but there is a chance that Jeremy Lynn will have some extra energy in this game. Man, the Lynn's, the Lynn stands are going to be out in full force. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to just stay off Twitter that night, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how long can this streak go? After that, they have the Lakers, they have the Bulls. Can they beat LA at home? No, no. <laughs> it's LeBron. Like uh, the Nets, like against LeBron. Since I've been a fan, you know, no one beats LeBron in general. And Spencer I think did what he did last year. Spencer did what he did. Um, he's going to need to bring all of that juice, you know, uh, again. But I think you know, if, unless we see, you know, the Lakers have a bit of a lull. But they've been pretty good of late. And I think, you know, on paper, they're just uh, a little bit deeper uh, than we are, a little bit more talented. And, you know, in a Western Conference, you know, that is uh, a lot more stacked. I think it could be a close one because the Nets generally do, you know, play up to the competition when it comes to teams like them, the Raptors, the more elite teams in the league. But I think, uh, I, I think you know, it could be close. But I'd be surprised if we do get that W. Yeah, it'd be a huge win. Yeah, I was going to say, similar to the last game versus Cleveland uh, a year ago, or last season, rather, uh, I think it'll be a close game where we'll stick around with them towards the fourth quarter, at which point LeBron James will, will remember that he's LeBron James and will proceed to LeBron James, and that will be the end of that. Yeah, LeBron, I think James he has a really good numbers at yeah. Barclays Center for some reason. I, I think it's when he dropped 49 against the corpse of one Paul Pierce. Who called them out before the game, which was always a wonderful idea to do against a great player. It's worked out really well for a lot of teams. I think, like, <laughs> Jay-Z, Jay-Z turned up to one of the games as well. And, like, beyond saying, like, he, of course, when you've got one of the best rappers of all time in front of you, of course, you know, LeBron likes to show up for, for those sort of games. But, yeah, uh, I mean, if I wish I could go. But, you know, LeBron <laughs> is going to do LeBron things on, on any sort of occasion. It just de- it depends on when he decides to sort of switch it on. Yeah, exactly. Moving on from there, though, uh, there's a rumor before the game. Jabari Parker, well, this has started yesterday, too. Jabari Parker is now out of the Bulls rotation, and he's now in the trade market. Is this someone you could see the Nets make a move for? Not not in the sense for his talent, but his contract. It's a team option for the second year, so you get $20 million off the books. I think the contracts can match up, but the problem is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's a team option for next year with uh, yep. Jabari. Yeah, so they can just cut him if it doesn't work out, or they could even buy him out as soon as they got him. 
Right. So unless Sean Marsh can convince them that they really need Alan Crabb, or unless he throws in a sweetener, I'm not sure who that would be at this point or what it would be. I don't think he's willing to part with Denver's pick for the sake of shedding uh, the Alan Crabb contract. I, I don't see it happening. But then again, with Sean Marks, these things do find a way to happen sometimes. So, Yeah, I mean, with how Rodion's is playing, I don't want Jabari Parker to take his minutes. Like, really? You know, I, I'm not saying that, you know, you know, Rodion's is going, like, is a better player or more talented or whatever, but he he's just... defense already. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's without saying. I think there are probably maybe one or two players. He's just a you know, mellow two point at at his age, and I think you know there were rumors surrounding Carmelo Anthony joining the Nets, and I don't really want Mellow. I don't really want Jabari, especially with what we have in Rodions. And I think it would really mess with the cohesion and chemistry a little bit. You know, I think we took that flyer in Jaleel Okafor, and, and I mean to a lesser extent Nick Stauskas. I think that was a worthwhile flyer in terms of what we sort of had in the rotation. But I think Jabari messes with the sort of, you know, everything that's happening right there. Uh, obviously, it's going to be what Sean Marks values, you know, and I think that cap space is something that he finds, you know, a premium. But, you know, the fact that he gave out that Spencer Dimity contract at such an early stage shows that he doesn't, you know, hold on to it, you know, like for his life. He still thinks that, you know, there are ways to maneuver around it. So, I mean, I don't want to see him in, in an S uniform, but I can't really see Jabari on many other teams. You know, maybe New York, these sort of tanking teams that have like nothing to lose, uh, I think may make a move for him. But I think the Nets are going to be around that conversation until, you know, some sort of package is made. Honestly, I think if the Nets traded for Jabari, I would almost want them to buy out. out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can't see anything other than a buyout just because uh, you don't have to deal with the, uh, the player option that Alan Crabb has. Uh, I believe he makes less money than Alan Crabb next year. I think it would just be simply for, you know. Money. Him, yeah, and then let's shed his contract and be done with it. But then again, everything we've heard seems to indicate that they, the Nets as an organization, top down, seem to love Alan Crabb. So I don't know that they're going to be, even if it's to get rid of the contract, I don't know that they're going to be willing to just part with it. So I, I, I have crazier things have happened, but in my opinion, probably not, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree with Matt. I don't think they'll look to really move Crab unless there had some other way to get a shooter because I think in Kenny's offense, it benefits to have Joe Harrison now in Crab. But we've seen in the past when both guys are hot, the Nets are tough to beat, and Crab's kind of coming into one of these great stretches. You know, me and Matt were chatting earlier in the year, and he advocated for him to start. Next thing you know, he kind of started to find his groove. So if Crab can play B&B good Crab, that makes a huge difference for the Nets and gives them a real shot to get into playoff contention. Yeah, and um... – to the point of uh, one Brian Fonseca of Nets Daily and Ain't Hard to Tell podcast, shout out to them. Uh, he asked a question on Twitter whether or not it matters that Spencer Dinwiddie was not the starter and D'Angelo uh, D'Lo was. And I think it, with this team, it really doesn't matter. It's not really how you start. It's more of just a, a – not a, a technicality, but I, I guess kind of like a prestige thing. I think yeah. I think D'Lo needs to start. I think it does something for his confidence. I think with Spencer Dinwiddie or with Alan Crab, with Spencer Dinwiddie or with uh, Joe Harris, it doesn't really matter. You can play them at any time in the game, and they're ready to go. D'Lo and Crab, for some reason, I think they just play better when they start the game off when they're the ones on the court to begin. Yeah, hundred percent. 
I think, yeah, it's all about the chemistry. Uh, it's the sort of issues, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that D'Angelo and Alan Crabb are better than Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie. It just works better with what the Nets want to do. And I think, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's probably looking for a six-man-of-the-year conversation and another award to sort of put himself into. So I'm sure he's not going to hate that. And he, I'm, I don't have the, the stats right in front of me right now, but I'd be remiss to say if he's not top two in minutes or top three at, at the least, uh, if not leading at, at this point of the season, because he is closing games far more than D'Angelo is. And I don't, to a lot of, you know, D'Angelo fans uh, irk. But I think, you know, D'Lo is... And, and Joe Harris, they just... They're almost, you know, they know what to do and they're happy to sort of accept that because of what has been the expectations on them before. You know, they're already exceeding the expectations that were placed on them because they've come from essentially sort of castaways, cast-offs. And now they're sort of, you know, reformed themselves into bona fide NBA stars. Whereas D'Angelo, number two pick, Alan Crabb, you know, this sort of, you know, massive contract that we threw at him. So I think, you know, expectation has sort of been a thing that can weigh uh, Crabb and D'Lo down and, so sort of if it means giving them the starting position, then so be it because, you know, uh, Coach Kenny is quite, you know, utilitarian and quite liberal with how he distributes his minutes anyway. Yeah, and you kind of like the energy sometimes then when he brings off the bench. It kind of, like, gets everything going. If they're off to a bad start, off to a solid start, you have a really good player you're bringing off the bench now. And just to touch on Dinwiddie a little bit more, how much do you think uh, Dinwiddie has improved himself or is it just the players around him being better this season that allowed him to kind of improve his efficiency? I know it's a cop-out to say both. <laughs> I do it all the time. Yeah, I'm going to cop-out. I'm going to say both. Uh, I definitely think, you know, last year when he was on that hot streak uh, and we the league was first starting to take notice of this guy, I think he himself was kind of asking himself, like, is this real or is this a series of flukes? I don't know what his confidence was. I, we know he believed in himself to an extent because he kept working on his game. He kept taking shots that mattered. But I think now – not in a way that's arrogant or anything. I just think he's feeling himself like I do this. I do this regularly. I'm going to believe in myself and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take these shots. I'm going to pass to my guys. I'm going to trust them. There's, you don't see too much doubt in his game, you know, for good, for better or for worse, because there have been a few games over the past month where he's called for ISOs that were completely unnecessary and I remember, uh, I think it was, I was in attendance for the game against the Clippers. That was probably one of his worst games in the fourth quarter. Oh, my God. I remember, I, was, I said, what are you doing? I was yelling <laughs> all the way up in the 100s, and I'm yelling down at him. What are you doing? But, like I said, I, I think it's just everyone around him, there's continuity and there's chemistry. And at the same time, he's more, he's confident. He knows his role. He knows what he's capable of. And he's going to, every time he does something where he feels like he's getting better, he's going to push himself a little bit more the next game. He might he might fail a little bit. He might, you know, regress a game here or two. But I think it's always going to be a few steps forward, maybe a step back, and then a few steps forward again. Yeah, I think for the most part, I'm going to go with that he's done it individually. You know, with for the, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of the season with shot selection, apart from, you know, key moments, which obviously makes them, you know, highlights them a little bit further. But, you know, he's taking the right shots. He's driving, you know, relentlessly, you know, We've talked about, you know, how awesome of a passer and in terms of, you know, his assist-to-turnover ratio was last season. Now it's his efficiency in driving to the rim where he's become absolutely, you know, elite. You know, he is elite in that area and he's been, you know, unconscious whenever he attacks the rim and he's getting those calls now, which is sort of, you know, giving him that positive feedback and, you know, that sort of sidestep three, you know, it's... When it goes in, it's it's goddamn pretty, but it can be frustrating as hell sometimes when it's unnecessary and when he might have, you know, a better shot or an open guy. 
but you know that's the good with the bad with you know all sort of players and i think for the most part spencer dimony is you know doing the right things has been far more efficient and he's put himself you know he's earned that contract and he's put himself in the six man of the year conversation if not right at the top of it yeah, I think uh, I think it's a combination probably of both. But like you said, Jack, the shot selection, I feel like even when he takes a bad three now, I don't even mind as much because he's been attacking so much. I also think his layup package has improved a lot. He's been able to hit a lot of different angles. And I think he's looking to finish instead of looking for the call, which is pretty big. But also the other players on the floor giving him better spacing, have, having somebody like Ed Davis who can set a good screen, knowing where they need to go to get him in his best position to score. You know, going off of that, before the game, we talked about the extension happened yesterday. You know, Sean Marks talked to the media, Kenny Atkins, and Dinwiddie himself. Jack, you got a couple quotes for us? Yeah, so there's plenty uh, of quotes from from the D, uh, obviously from Brian Fonseca, a lot of the Nets Daily guys. Uh, but Sean Marks, the sort of key quote was, you want to reward a guy who has bought in entirely. Um, go back three years when we first signed him, I think Spencer has showed terrific ability to improve, to develop, to be part of this culture, and it's deserving of him right now. I think a lot of the things that we touched on, fellas. Yeah, uh, honestly, it's just it pretty much is exactly what you thought they would say about signing Dewey to that thing. And he's he's really bought into the Nets and he's been almost a poster child, him and Joe Harris. So nothing of a surprise there. Yeah, if it, I mean, I know Brooklyn Grit isn't the hashtag anymore, but it's still kind of the mindset around the fan base. And yep. I think if we're going to put up a poster child for the Brook, for hashtag Brooklyn Grit, it has to be Dinwiddie, right? Every, everything works for nothing given. Yeah, crazy journey too. It's just been really impressive. And I think all the fans, like, you know, we talked about it yesterday on the show. Everybody felt really happy for Dinwiddie getting the deal. It wasn't just happy of being a Nets fan and having a good player locked up. You're actually happy for Dinwiddie. Yeah, it definitely seemed like a feel-good story just across the league. Everyone from, you know, the nameless fan to Dwayne Wade was congratulating him. And you can tell it was just genuine happiness for a guy who's worked his ass off you know, come from, uh, I guess, nothing and made his way into, you know, uh, maybe not a household name, but, you know, someone who you've, you've probably heard of. Yeah, and someone you've got to respect. And I, I think Dinwiddie also said himself that in relation to that, this is obviously one of the most comprehensive player development programs in the NBA. I think Jared Dudley tweeted out as well, you know, top three in terms of, you know, the, the facilities and such. So the, it, it speaks volumes to not only Spencer himself, uh, but it speaks volumes to the, the Nets organization overall. Oh, and yeah. I, I need to bring this up. I think it's huge for agents and for their free agents to see a team doing right by their player because they could have kept him in limbo. Or they could have, you know, waited until the season ended, uh, waited until free agency to try to bring him back. But they finally made a call and one that was just a decisive yes. They rewarded Dinwiddie's hard work and dedication with, you know, some loyalty of their own. And uh, I think that's huge when you are looking at possibly coming, if you're a free agent, it doesn't make a difference if you're, you know, if you're Kawhi Leonard or if you're like someone on, you know, the lower tier, if you see, oh, okay, if I go there and I work, they're going to reward me for doing so. That's, that's something that's important. You have to treat your, you have to treat your guys properly. We know it's a business. We know that not everyone's going to be able to get paid all the time. But this was one example where the choice was clear and they made the right decision. Exactly. And the Nets have already been kind of beloved by agents for, you know, the offer sheets they sent out, but rewarding their own guy, then also helping Dinwiddie get to this level, being an undrafted guy. I mean, being a second round pick, then being cut by multiple teams, getting him to this level with the Nets and rewarding him is big. And it sends a good message to a lot of young players where people are going to want to come to Brooklyn now. 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I sort of touched on a little bit on the last one when we spoke in depth about the extension, but I think it also, not just free agents, but the, the guys that, you know, the Nets draft, I think, you know, the young kids that are coming into, you know, the 2019, 2020 draft, they're going to want to go to Brooklyn. They're going to want to be a part of that organization because they've seen the results that have happened, yeah? Yes, you know, D'Angelo Russell hasn't flourished necessarily, but he has still improved as a player. And I think that they reward the guys within their system uh, more so. And I think that means a lot, you know, not just to players, but to agents. I also, you know, one thing I didn't necessarily, I didn't know that um, Spencer Dinwiddie's agent, Raymond Brothers, it's the same agent for Markel Fultz, isn't it? Yes. So, I mean, little tidbit doesn't really mean anything, but it was just surprising to me. Yeah, and I know there was recently some discussion about his agent, but I'm not really sure about the details, and I think Dinwiddie said it wasn't real. But, Jack, what else you got for us quote-wise? So this was via NBA TV and Mike Scotto. Uh, so he sort of said that there was uh, this was via um, – so there was fear that if Spencer Dinwiddie hit the unrestricted free agency market, teams such as Phoenix, Orlando that needed a point guard could make a push for him to get more money. So, obviously, um, I think it makes complete sense. You know, there were some executives I've spoken to around the league that felt annually he could make somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 million per year. I think those executives might listen to the Brooklyn buzz because <laughs> we said those exact numbers, Nick. Yeah, no, I think 15 mil for a team like Phoenix or Orlando, you get a guy who you know is going to help your team score the basketball, pass the basketball, has some defensive potential. No reason they wouldn't offer him money because they haven't had any success getting a point guard on either team. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that when this guy exits free agency in, what is it, three years from now? Yep. He's he's going to be, what, 28 years old? Yep, 28, yeah. Yeah, he'll be right in the thick of his prime. He'll still have most of his prime ahead of him, depending on, you know, where you gauge prime, like 26 to 32, whatever. He, he'll be in line to really hit a payday. So this might end up being a, I guess, a rare win-win, like a true win-win for both the player and for the team, uh, you know, together. Yeah, I think funnily enough, I, I think in that same, you know, I, I need to be subscribed to The Athletic, but uh, I still <laughs> saw the little tidbit that I think that the initial offer was like 321, a nice little sort of low ball. But I think as well, Spencer gets, you know, that opportunity to head into free agency. And the final quote from him as well is, all credit goes to them and the culture they developed. The organization they built, the players they put in the locker room, and just the tenor and trajectory we're on, we all believe in it. And they took a chance on me. That's not lost to me, and I really appreciate it. So a lot of the things we've touched on, lads. Yeah, and you you could feel that Dinwiddie always appreciated the Nets for giving him that opportunity, appreciated Kenny and the coaching staff, helping him give him that game. And he, even what he say, uh, the green light is the greatest drug known to man. And obviously yep. the Nets gave that and taking that extension early. Good for him, good for the Nets. Absolutely. Jack, anything else or last one? Um, well, I've got a D'Angelo and Rondell Hollis-Jefferson one, lads. You guys want to hear that one? Yeah, yeah, throw it out there. All right, so obviously our dude Brian Fonseca is getting plenty of shout-outs this one, but this is via <laughs> Sean Marks and that press up. Okay, Brian... I, I report him as spam once a day to keep him humble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might, I might have to start doing that myself. I need to stop liking him, giving him that you know humble ego. But uh, this is via, uh, um, obviously, here's and a, and a direct quote. I think time will tell. This was an opportunity where Spencer's opportunity to sign happened December 8th. The other guys will have to wait until the summer to figure that out. But as long as our guys want to be here, want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves, they've got a year to prove it. And it's not just the guys you mentioned. It goes for everybody here. It's a competitive environment. That's what we love. And it starts with Kenny and it goes right through the staff. I think that there's a few little things there that uh, are some takeaways. 
Yeah, I think it pretty much says that Sean Marks is sending him almost a direct message to Rondé. Yeah, like you guys got to prove it. You want to get paid by us, you got to go out there and earn it. And I think it comes a little bit more DeAngelo. Like we said, Rondé's probably not going to be the hottest commodity on the market, but DeAngelo being 22 has that flash at point guard, has some potential to him. The Nets aren't going to just give him money. He's going to have to go out and earn it, and it's going to have to be in multiple ways. It's not just going to be, you know, having these big scoring nights once a week. He's going to have to pick up defensively. He's going to have to add that energy and be that leader. And to his credit, since Karras went down with that injury, he has, for the most part, not every night, but he has, for the most part, picked up both his defense, his facilitating, his defense and his offensive game, right? He looks like he's genuinely trying, but uh, sometimes, and this isn't to come down on Kenny Atkinson too hard, there are times when it feels like it would be good for his psyche just to be out there in the fourth quarter and uh, Kenny will either not put him in at all or just hold off on it in favor of Spence. And I think going forward, if games look like, you know, there, there might be a little bit of wiggle room with the score, I would like to see him just just give him the chance. It's kind of like uh, in baseball when you, you – I don't know if either of you guys watch baseball. I'm I watch enough to know what you're going to say. Yeah, it's like the, the pitch, your pitchers, right? when you pull the pitcher way too early because he's struggling to get a couple of outs or something like that, sometimes you got to send him back out there for that extra inning and let him, you know, try to work through it just so that he can see it happen one time and gain his confidence back. And I feel it's the same thing with D'Angelo Russell. Now I know he's had, he's been in the fourth quarter a couple of times, but it still feels like, and God knows his fans don't ever let us forget. This. <laughs> he's when he's, he's not, not playing the full air, game, you know, the fans are upset. Oh, for the love of God. <laughs> We, we can do a whole separate pod on all that. Yes, we can. I, I think, yeah, with the D'Angelo stuff in terms of the sort of, you know, he it's shown that he hasn't necessarily earned the trust fully of, of Coach Kenny yet. And I think it's a real sort of balance for, for Atkinson in terms of how he sort of, you know, uses D'Angelo in terms of, you know, closing games because, you know, he, he has the, the chemistry and cohesion between the backcourt of Spencer and D'Angelo hasn't proved to be a fruitful one, at least at this early stage. And then there's also the balance of, you know, obviously this team wants to challenge for the playoffs. And in those sort of closing situations, we've seen D'Angelo make a few mistakes in terms of turnovers, over dribbling the ball at the same time. Um, so, shot, you know, seven seconds too early in the shot clock. Yes, that yes, well. it could probably cost the game. That as well. There's a, a lot of things that D'Angelo hasn't done well. And I think that, you know, he needs to possibly re-earn the faith of, of a guy like Coach Kenny right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that all sort of pans out because uh, I think a lot of this season, you know, as much as it is playoffs, I would much rather see, you know, what we, we have a full sort of body of work to judge D'Angelo Russell on so we can go, okay, we know what he's like as a closer. We know what he's like with the starters. We know what he's like with Spencer and Karras. We can fully judge, you know, where he fits with the Brooklyn Nets long term. But if, you know, like you sort of touched on, Matt, if he's not out there, we can't necessarily make that judgment. So I think Coach Kenny needs to find, you know, a healthy balance between, you know, winning, losing, the right lineups, the plus minus, all the analytics, all that sort of jargon. Uh, because I think, you know, D'Angelo Russell and his season is probably one of the key sticking points uh, for the Brooklyn Nets organization as a whole going forward. 
Yeah, not only the season, but the offseason as well, Jack. And I think you guys touched on it. It's almost like the balance is like, is it winning games? And I think a lot of times, not only the mistakes, but D'Angelo, you see him get benched a lot if he doesn't show effort. I want to say it was the game against Philly. He he missed uh, the defensive assignment against TJ McConnell, where he just kind of let him get a reverse layup in that fourth quarter and just didn't really put a lot of effort in. I think that's the most frustrating thing. And, you know, a lot of people are like, he's only 22. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell, D'Angelo Russell's actually played more career games. So I think he's getting the experience. He has the experience out there. He just kind of has to prove it a little bit more. And I think what the Nets want to see, and I brought this up before, they want to see him put in those effort plays. They want to see those hustle plays. And we see them sometimes. If he continues to do that, Kenny's going to have no no reason to bench him. But if he's going out there and he's not hustling and he's making the mistakes, it's hard to play him in the fourth quarter. I think there's also a happy middle ground, right? Because the trust has to be a two-way street. Sometimes, you know, you have to give a little to get a little. And that might that might start with Kenny in some games. It might start with D'Lo and others. But I, I would much rather see him be pulled for a couple of possessions, be chewed out on the sideline for blowing an assignment, and then put back in with the chance to rectify his mistakes as opposed to, okay, you made one kind of glaring mistake. I'm going to take you out and let you sit on this until the next game. I think that does a lot of that, – that might do more damage than uh, good. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I think it's definitely a dynamic we've, we've talked about for a whole season. We're going to talk about again for the rest of the season. It's also like I brought this up to Jack off the show before is sometimes you feel like the dynamic of Dinwiddie's playing really well. D'Angelo's in there is almost throwing out his flow. Tonight, you didn't really see that. They're kind of able to, you know, um, mesh. So hopefully they can continue to do that. And I don't think they'll have a reason to bench him. But if they're he's disrupting the offense, disrupting Dinwiddie and what's going on, I think that's when he look, looks to do it. And obviously confidence is huge for a young kid. Right, and they're not. He's not doing things like, uh, you know, settle, settling early like tonight, for example. He didn't settle early in the shot clock for you know a contested three or get trapped on the perimeter as he's prone to do, especially late in games. He does seem to be. Uh, I, I guess his IQ does seem to be growing. His decision making seems to be getting uh, somewhat better. And of course, like I said, there's going to be games where it regresses. But tonight, you know, you look at the field goal percentage and you say, okay, that sucks. But then you see how he was as a facilitator and just uh, even that one secondary assist where he passed the ball to uh, Jared Dudley and Jared Dudley swings it out to Damari Carroll early in the game. Damari drills the three and, and it just looks like a very clean, I'm going to be the point guard and just run the offense, be the orchestrator. I'm happy to see that. I don't need you to fill up the box score every night. Just look like you know what you're doing in the offense. Be confident and don't and, you know, be more be helpful. Don't be someone who just has to have the ball, have your touches and, and get your shots off, even though it's at the detriment of uh, the rest of the team. And that's spot on. I think that's a spot on analysis. Sorry to cut you off, Jack. I think when he's making the quick decisions, being aggressive, which we kind of talked about a little bit, Matt, passing the ball, working when the working within the offense, I think it's a big difference. Yeah, I think you have to look beyond the box score and, and, you know, focus on the eye test when it comes to D'Angelo more than any other. I think, you know, the true Nets fans and true Nets followers have been doing that. I think a lot of other sort of, you know, fringe NBA guys who just sort of, you know, just sort of pay attention to the Nets in passing don't know the sort of growth that he has shown this season. And I think one thing, you know, he does need to be more uh, effective at is being able to be more effective not having the ball in his hands because uh, he is an incredibly high usage guard 
And I think, you know, with Spencer out there as well, they both need to have the ball in their hands. And, you know, Spencer can make plays without the ball. You know, he can cut a little bit. He can make the three. He can catch and shoot. And D'Anzo has a nice catch and shoot as well. I think his three-point shot has improved quite a bit this year. But, yeah, he's he's the number one guy, you know, in terms of you know, marketability, all these other tangible and intangible things. But uh, how it unfolds for him individually this season is going to be, you know, really fascinating to see. Yeah, and I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about it. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Any final thoughts you guys want to get out of uh, get in before we get out of here? Uh, I, I'm curious to think to ask. Excuse me. I'm curious as to what you guys think of uh, Musa and when we'll get a chance to see him in some meaningful uh, NBA action because he looks like he's doing pretty well over in Long Island. And uh, look, right now the Nets are on a nice little winning streak. But do you think we'll get to see him at some point before the All Star break? Jack, you go first. Um, he was recalled tonight, wasn't he, from the G League? Yeah, he was. Yeah, I thought so, because I remember putting out, you know, a, a pre-game tweet about the fact that Alan Crabb was out. I expected, you know, because Coach Kenny has played uh, a 10-man rotation for the most, if not all, of the season, that we would see one of Shabazz and or uh, Janan Musa. So it was surprising to see, but I think he needs, you know, I think Rodion's, if you're looking as Rodion's as the sort of, you know, model, you know, he earned it through you know, sporadic minutes. And I think Janan is a completely sort of different player. And I think he is sort of, I see elements of Karis LeVert in his game in terms of what the Nets are trying to turn him into, you know, playing him a little bit of point guard. But he's also, you know, got the, the wing size and stuff. I don't think he is NBA ready right now, uh, but I would like to see some sporadic minutes for him. But I think like, yeah, like you touched on as well, Matt, with the way the Nets have been playing along this winning streak, you also don't necessarily want to mess with that. So uh, like with all things, Coach Kenny's going to have a lot of sort of things to think about in terms of how he distributes, you know, those minutes and how he keeps all of his guys happy because, you know, I've even loved, you know, Alan Williams playing Long Island as well. Yeah, and I think we also throw in there the fact that Trevion Graham's out and I would expect him to probably be back, I would hope, by January at least. So I don't know. Musa, like I thought going to the season, we'd see him a little bit more, but I think the Nets are going to kind of look to develop him in the jig and develop that body because I don't think it's necessarily NBA ready. These are first world problems, which is something we're not really used to. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. <laughs> like, we actually can put a good player in the G League. What is this? Four-game winning streak. The Nets are looking good. This has been a great show. Matt, pleasure having you on. Tell everyone they can find you on Twitter. I'm at Matt and AQ. Matt, M-A-T-T-N-A-Q. The letters A-Q. Pretty simple. Make sure you follow him. A lot of great Nets interaction. One of my favorite files on Nets Twitter. Jack, always a pleasure. You can check out the show. iTunes, Box Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, YouTube, and Dash Radio. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.